This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern, and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, Podcasts, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Tonight, we've got a very special show planned for you, with the second hour hosted by J.J. Colagrande, featuring Conjunto Progreso and many more special guests. But tonight, for the 7 o'clock hour, we will have social media speaker and master Twitter user Stacy Garcia, along with myself, your host, Grant Stern, speaking at the Florida Social Con, which took place this Saturday afternoon, all day, at FIU's Graham Center Events Ballroom. And you can find out more about that online at hashtag FL. Social Con. That's hashtag FL Social Con. This is the part of the show where I take a few minutes to speak directly to you, the audience, about something of importance locally or beyond. And I'd like to speak briefly about the reopening of a U.S. embassy in Cuba. I think this is a very important step for both of our nations to take towards reopening relations. If you'll note, we got a lot more accomplished by reopening relations with communist China when Richard Nixon did that back in the 1970s than we did with countries with whom our policy remained disengagement. Coca-Cola wins over a lot more hearts than simply holding out a fist and saying, you're wrong, we know it, and it's never going to change. Unfortunately, that's the business of sovereign diplomacy, and it's an ugly one. It's all about compromises. This is a great thing for the city of Miami because our economy is very strong today, but we have a real estate boom that is finishing. And let us face it, my friends, a lot of people in this city, the builders, the developers, the skilled tradesmen, they look for work when these booms end and they need this work. And Cuba is a place that needs a lot of work. So for our economy, it will be a spectacular thing to see a Cuba, which can trade with the United States, and I think that anyone in Miami's business sector is very intrigued and excited by the possibilities. On the other hand, it gives us the access, which we lack now, to speak and project our message, which we should all be doing, and if you visit the island, you should certainly speak out and let people know that it does not have to be as it is on the Cuban island with political repression. So... By gaining access to the island, we can spread that message and spread it through the good deeds and good works that we as Americans do every day and take for granted and share it with them through trade. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mom. 
mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm going to be king. I'm going to make that woman so proud of a son. I know you heard about change. It's going to come. Change, come, question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air. Like a champion. Because I'm the man to win. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern, and check out www.onlyinmiami.co. What I do is I talk about what you want to know. My Twitter handle is Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, Stacy, Stacy, So I teach Twitter for the most part, and um, 
what I'd love to do about it is get people interested in Twitter, because it's not easy. And I've always had audiences where maybe 95% of people were not on Twitter. Here, I'm sure that's not the case, but I've had a lot of um, first-timers, and I got them addicted, and pushed Twitter like it's crap. And, you know, when the more people get on it and start talking to me and then don't give up, I get all excited about it. So there's a couple of my followers over the last, since 2011, I've had followers that now have hundreds of thousands of followers on their own. And they always say that I'm the one that opens up the door to Twitter for them, and now they're addicted to it. They can't. Every day, every moment of their life is spent communicating with people on Twitter. It's not a contest on how many tweets you can have or how many followers you can have. It's more of a venue to build relationships and have, uh, it's like a, what I used, what I tell Carlo and I call it is the backbone. So I use it as a backbone to get attention of any person I want, anywhere in the world, anytime I want to call them. It's just a question of are they going to notice? And I think Twitter is the uh, platform with the most potential. So let's say I'm at home, and um, I really want to get in touch with, uh, let's see, any of you guys can name anybody. But I'm going to name, I'm going to name um, Jim Carrey. I really want to get in touch with Jim Carrey. And of course, he only follows one person, and he's got millions and millions of followers, and everyone's talking to him all the time. There's very little chance ever in real life that I would ever be able to walk up to him or call him and say, hey, Jim, it's Stacy. I need to talk to you or tell you I loved your movie or talk to you about something or tell you I want to be in your next movie or whatever. On Twitter, there is that chance, even though you might say, that's totally not realistic. You can send a tweet to Jim Carrey. And he's never going to see it. Well, you could say that about anything, but um, trying on Twitter is so much easier than actually making a call, writing an email, going to the office, mailing a letter, in the old school. In my world, one tweet takes maybe 10 seconds, and I can send a tweet out to any person I want. And though, on the other end, they could, let's say it's Jim Carrey, he could have his phone and it could pop up. Now, he's a busy guy, maybe he's like, no, I don't have my notifications set up, I'm not going to get the tweets to me, maybe my assistant will do it, or my social media person, or my team. Either way, my tweet's going to somebody, and let's just say he does answer all his own tweets, because some people do, and he reads it, and he replies. What's the chance, without even that tweet going out, that I would have ever talked to him? Zero. Once that tweet went out and he replied, that took me 10 seconds, I just, that one communication. And that actually, that, that happened to me. I tweeted Jim Carrey about a movie and he replied. As soon as my tweet went out, I got a reply. And I told my kids, um, oh my God, oh my God, oh God, I'm freaking out. And I said, what? I said, oh my God, they, Jim Carrey just replied to my tweet. And they were like, Mom, it's not really Jim Carrey, it's some girl like you. <laughs> you, you're the, you're Jim Carrey, and like, yeah, probably, because I do get hired by people to be them. But in this case, I really believe them. Like he said, he knew right away. He he treated me. So you know, people have teams of people that tweet for them, and they have um, 
they have what we talked about earlier, this is up here, they have things planned out for months. They have uh, tweets written by teams of tweeters and professional. That's the opposite of what I like to do. I use Twitter to communicate with everybody all the time. I don't use it as a planned agenda for advertising for the rest of the year. And here's all of our campaigns based on the holiday and the, the time. Uh, it's nice to tweet uh, around the clock because you have people in England and other places. But I'm a real-time tweeter. If I don't get to tweet for 24 hours, I almost have withdrawal. But I could tweet 10 times in 10 minutes or 10 times in 5 minutes. I like to use Twitter as if it's I'm talking to whoever I'm talking to. So, and one of my favorite things to do is to live tweet stuff, which means I'm telling everybody that follows me what's going on wherever I am. In case you're not sure what some of the terms are, just let me know. So I live tweet events, sporting events, this kind of event, um, games, concerts, activities, fairs, festivals, parties. And that's one of my favorite things to do because you get to attend. You might not be the most social person because you're busy tweeting the whole time, but you get to be there where you normally would be. It's like being in the media, but you're telling your own personal audience about everything that's going on. So that's one of my favorite things to do. I call it social, social activation, but that's, not, that's a job, and that's not what everyone uses Twitter for. That's what a brand could um, initiate if they want people to be involved in whatever they're talking about, you know, with their product or service. But one of the things I like about Twitter is the immediacy of it. So back to the Jim Carrey thing. I walk out of the movie and I tweet Jim Carrey and he tweets me right back. And I think of it like it's a bat phone. I got on my bat phone, I tweeted him, he tweeted me. How, where else is there a chance that I'm going to have his phone number, and he's going to see my message come right up on his screen, on his phone. And also, keep in mind that when you tweet somebody, most of the people have their notifications on. So right on their phone, it's going to say, you know, the tweet. It's like a text. So I often refer to Twitter as texting people I don't know. Um, if I pick somebody, and this, there's a lot of research involved. If I pick somebody and I say, hey, there's a guy I want to do business with. He's got a really great opportunity at his company. And I want to talk to him, but I don't want to go through the receptionist. I don't want to write an email. I don't want to sit down. I don't even want to stop for five minutes. I just want to tweet that guy. I look for his Twitter and I send him a, a tweet. I don't design the tweet. I don't add a link. I don't do much except be myself and send him a tweet. I don't believe in creating um, a formula for the perfect tweet or to get the best engagement. I believe that everything is authentic, that it'll work out. Also, I believe that it happens for a reason. So timing is everything. Um, I'm not going to send up my, my most amazing tweets to Jim Carrey at 3 a.m. unless I know that he is asleep at 3 a.m. So, um, and, and just speaking of that, I work for clients where I am their Twitter, and all their tweets go out at 3 a.m. Anybody know why they would send their tweets out at 3 a.m.? No time zone. Well, that could be, but not for my clients. They're up at 3 a.m. at the gym, and all the people that they are friends with and that follow them are up at 3 a.m. at the gym. 
all of them. So when I represented two clients that actually knew each other, all of these people are talking, and they're all riding stationary bikes at 3 a.m. And that was my job, was to represent two different people that were biking and talking to each other about fitness at 3 a.m. You know, and the funny thing was that I couldn't sleep anyway, so I didn't mind it, and I felt like I was getting, like, cardio, even though I was in bed. <laughs> it was like some of it would rub off on me, and I'd be really inspired until it was 4.30 and I went back to sleep. But um, their audience was on Twitter at 3 a.m. That's when they have time to do it. And if you know when your audience is on, that's the time to talk to them. It doesn't take a huge amount of analytics to find out when they're going to be available to talk to you. It just takes a little bit of timing. Tweet them every hour of the day and find out who replies when. My clients just happen to be early morning guys that go to the gym, and that's all they wanted to talk about. So um, that would be a reason to tweet at 3 a.m. Or you know, if you wanted to talk to another time zone as well. Anyway, back to my story is, <clears throat> I get an idea and I say, who do I want to know? Who do I want to connect with? Who do I want to have a business relationship with or represent my dream job? Um, and then I find that person on Twitter and I talk to them. And I continue to talk to them. I don't stalk them, but I do talk to them. So I just recently, you know, maybe over the last two months fell in love with Amy Schumer. And I feel like I'm Amy Schumer, but like 10 years later with three kids and divorce. So, and I say, you know what? I'm gonna talk to Amy Schumer and I'm gonna tell her that like, if she needs another writer who's already ahead of her in the world, that's me. And we should talk because I'm extremely funny and I've already done everything that she's doing now that she thinks is new. So, um, you know, we can talk about it and I can tell her what's next. So, and then I can be famous, and I won't have to work, and I can be retired, and that was always my dream anyway, because I wanted to be retired right away, before I ever got a job. So, um, I use Twitter as two things. One, a way to connect with people and tell them what I'm thinking, and another is just um, a way to push everything else aside and just say, say and I don't use 140 characters, I use maybe 30, say exactly what I'm thinking. So the people that follow me, they, they know me pretty well. They're getting, I mean, I used, to, I used to be able to think inside my brain and not tell anybody what I was thinking. And that was like five years ago. Now as soon as I think of something, I tweet it out. And so everybody that follows me knows what I'm thinking. And I can't keep a thought to myself ever. And it's kind of weird that there's no syndrome for that yet. But, there, but that's what it is. <laughs> is that everything I think, I tell everyone. And um, I think people, it's not narcissism, although it could be argued. It's just, it's just a, um, you know, it's just this, you get used to telling everybody what you're thinking. And Twitter is where everybody does it. The cool thing about Twitter is it's instant. It doesn't take forever. There's no like, and there's no dislike, and there's no, people don't have to share it, or they could. And if they do, it's a retweet. And if they like it, they could start. But it's kind of like the smart, snarky, sarcastic, intelligent, to a fault, antisocial crew. And those are the people that are on Twitter. And then there's a lot of people that have to be on Twitter for business. And I have those clients. Those are my clients that say, well, if I'm going to be here, I should be on Facebook, I should be on Instagram, and I should probably be on Twitter too, right? And sometimes I, I try to 
keep them away from Twitter. So you know why you don't really have much business on Twitter. You don't have a local um, active following. Or, or maybe Twitter is where they should be. I used to, when I first started, represent um, food trucks. God, I had a lot of Twitter activity because all of the food trucks have no um, brick and mortar buildings. They don't stay in one place. They're everywhere. They're all over. They're roaming. So where are they going to be tomorrow? Where are they going to be on Friday? Where are they going to be on Saturday? They do private parties. They're all over the place. Best way to tell their audience where they're going to be is Twitter. Hey guys, this is where we're going to be on Saturday. Come see us. Twitter is the best. Facebook was too late. Not everybody would see it. And Instagram was like a dinosaur at the time. So Twitter was the best. And the Twitter people on Twitter love bacon, draft beer, or you know, craft beer, and um, and food trucks. So the people on Twitter are younger. They're fun. They're smart, and they're quick. And, and Twitter is the fast lane the highway of social media. It's going by really quickly. And some people lose courage and figure they can't get it because it's too busy. So they can't keep up. Um, okay, like Rick, Tom. This is, my take on Twitter is it's completely 100% a communication avenue. I don't use it to sell anything at all. And I represent tons of clients who initially want to sell something. When I tell them that they don't need to sell anything, they just need to make good connections. Twitter is a great way to do it. It's like a little bit of training, but then once you train your client, then they understand what to expect. Do you guys have any questions for me? Yeah. How do we, you know, I'm
but also to make friends in real life. So as soon as I tweet people, I build a Twitter relationship with them. I'm like, hey, where are you guys going to be? Da, da, da. Mine is to take it to the real world, always, in every social platform. Like, I want to take it to the real world, IRL, in real life. So if I'm going to California, I treat my teams there. If I'm going to Colorado. I have a communication system with people all over the world. And I say, hey, here's where I'm going to be. I don't care how many followers it is. The quality is definitely more important than And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this wonderful multimedia presentation that I prepared for you today. This is the entirety of it. It's my new website, onlyinmiami.co. Thank you for being here. My name is Grant Stern, and I use Twitter. For those of you who have not followed me on Twitter... I'm at Grant Stern. That's my name. And most of the time, for those of you who do know me, who are following me, you know that I actually use multiple Twitter accounts. Um, kind of like what Stacey does, but I'm not a hired hitman. I'm not a social media pro for hire. Uh, if I'm tweeting it, it's because I'm involved in it. I have equity in it. It's one of my ideas and my causes. And when we talk about causes, there's a cause that I began working on, actually with an article published in the Miami Herald, and then it kind of mushroomed into a whole to-do, and here we are three and a half years later, and it's still going on. And it centered around one hashtag, and that's what I'm going to tell you for your answer to your question. The way to engage is through hashtags. And like Stacy said just a few minutes ago, you don't necessarily want to start off by just creating your own hashtag and trying to run with it. That's not easy. Okay? However, there are times where that's actually the most important thing to do. So as you learn how to use these hashtags, they index content. And what that means is they make it easier for people to find content in the same vein. For example, hashtag Miami. Um, I live in Miami. I'm a big fan of Miami. I have a radio program called The Only in Miami Show, which for this lovely website, which I hope you guys all check out. And I started tweeting a lot on hashtag Miami. Anytime something's going on in Miami, if it's food, if it's an event, if it's culture, if it's Whatever it is, if it's relevant to somebody in Miami, I use the hashtag Miami. And lo and behold, um, Cloud, a few months ago or whatever, started assembling lists of influencers in Miami. And they picked the top nine. And at the top nine, there was Miami Herald, Miami Heat, Miami Marlins, Miami Dolphins. Actually, Marlins dropped out. <laughs> and uh, Pitbull was on there. Um, Billy Corbin, uh, the director. And then I was on there at number eight. And a friend of mine, James Eccles, sold Miami, who I suggest you guys follow on Twitter right now. Everybody in the room, if you're not following him, at Soul of Miami. He's one of the best personalities on Twitter today in this city. He was at number nine. And we're all people that are considered experts by this measuring service on Miami. Well, how does that relate to your question? 
So I started this thing called No Walmart in Midtown. And at the time I decided, and this is important if you're involved in an issue, not to institutionalize the issue. Sometimes you want to just get results and you don't want to form an entire charity or nonprofit just to do that thing. You don't want to become a political candidate. You don't want to do anything but get your issue settled. And that's what happened with the no Walmart in midtown fight. We didn't want the Walmart to move in. We didn't want them to rip up the community. And a bunch of us in a Facebook group, actually, maybe like 70 or 80 person Facebook group of people who are active online, all discussed it. And they said, Grant, you should, you should start a change.org petition. I said, okay, that sounds like a great idea. But we need a hashtag. So all of us debated this. And it's good to have a lot of voices in creating these hashtags. The best ones are under 15 characters. It's not easy to come up with one that people will use. But the best trick to doing this is to make it conversational. To make it something you might say anyway. Like, hey, come out. Do you, you know, there's, there's no Walmart in Midtown happening. You know, we use the word in. We capitalize N, W, and M. No Walmart in Midtown. It looks good on the eye. But also, what it did was it creates this permanent index. And over time, as you keep tweeting that hashtag, as you keep you know, repeating it and letting people know, we, we even got a domain, a web domain for it. So what do we do? Hashtag no Walmart in Midtown, and then we write .com after it. Then you don't have to even put your uh, web address up there separately. You just saved a whole bunch of characters. And you told people your entire story with a hashtag, just by saying, this is what I'm doing, the hashtag is the same, .com at the end. Um, so I hope that helps, because you don't want to do it right away. You want to start by using the hashtags that people are using that you want to target, and then figure out how to conversationally create a hashtag that people can use in an actual sentence. For example, if, uh, if yours is, uh, is a 24-hour hotline, it's a, uh, What's it for? Okay, so your hashtag would be stop suicide FTL. Do you want to stop suicide? Do you want to stop suicide for a lauderdale or something like that? And it's just something that you can say in a sentence, and that will help people remember it because they'll want to use it, because they'll say, you know, they'll use it in context of their own discussions. And when you make this hashtag, that is the goal not just for you to use it, not just for your own tweets to be cataloged, because believe me, there is nothing more lonely than a hashtag that has only your own content. <laughs> nothing more lonely. And I'll give you a quick example of that. If you guys want to check this out on your own time, just for fun, um, I don't even know what's going to be on it right now because this is a website that we put up that's based on a hashtag. This is one that I made literally just for fun. Um, we were at the supermarket, we saw a couple of guys with yellow shirts and uh, pink hair buying uh, sodas at Publix. And it was like so pedestrian for us, and they're like, you know, neon people. We call the people of Ultra. And uh, if you've... Yes, you have a shirt. And, and if you've... Uh, now, I want to raise a hand. How many people here use a Twitter tool, some sort of automation, some sort of tool that links into Twitter? How many people? Hands? Okay, so... What we did was, we took a hashtag on Instagram of all things, and then piped the content out from Instagram into this Tumblr page, and also into the Twitter feed, which you see on the 
the, the side there. Okay, and what that did was it created this content channel where everybody could find their own pictures. We're using other people's content to fill up this stream with memories of Ultra. And as you can see, they had a good time with it. This is the third year of it. We really only tweeted it actively for about two years. Our Instagram account gained 3,000 followers in about 15 days of tweeting and the, or, you know, Instagramming and maybe like 1,000 Twitter followers. But the purpose was to get it out there publicly so people could see it. And that gave the utility of there's a website that's aggregating everybody's content just using this hashtag. And it works in, Insta in Twitter as well. Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, which is the platform that this uh, website is on, is also driven by hashtags. So, I mean, obviously, I don't need to explain too much of the importance of it, but it, it's good to show an example. Um, that is 230 posts on Instagram that we posted into Twitter. That account has 2,600 posts into the hashtag, which is about 10 to 1. And during our first year that we were tweeting it, uh, Tiesto, how many here have heard of Tiesto? A couple of people. He's like the guy, he tweeted us out like on Saturday night during the show, and then last year, or two years ago, Ultra tweeted out one of our posts, and it's all crowd-generated content. So, again, hashtags are much happier when they're joined by friends, and that's the way to do it. Make something that other people, you know, find novel, will use in a sentence, can relate to. And don't be afraid to use those little words like ins, ofs, ands, ats, but I suggest capitalizing anything that's important, like people and I'll try. We'll, we'll take questions at the end, don't worry, I promise. So I'm going to move backwards through our, our topics here. And you asked about the follower limit. So who here has hit the follower limit on Twitter? Anybody? One, two, three, okay. So I'll explain that one, because I ran into it a few years ago. Um, Twitter has a 2,000 follower limit until you exceed roughly 1,800 followers. And they do that to prevent spamming. Because every time you follow somebody, it sends out an email. And every time that email goes out, obviously, you know, somebody gets notified, and maybe they think it's worthwhile or not. So, they don't want people churning the followers too often. They don't want people, uh, you know, if you had unlimited follow, well, you could go out there and follow 10,000 people, and you would get maybe 5,000 followbacks, but maybe you only get 1,000. And what I've noticed is, is that a lot of accounts are run all the way up to the 2,000 limit, and then they've got 200 followers. <laughs> and the problem with that also is that as you pack your stream with more people, it makes the stream less useful if it's all done all at once, because you don't know the frequency of these people's tweets, you don't know if these people are going to be like informational or just annoying or spam or retweeting uh, somebody who likes coffee a lot. Everybody see the likes coffee spam bot? <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, if you pack your stream with all these useless followers, well, eventually your stream will become less useful. And as Stacy was explaining, that's part of the power of Twitter, that you can reach out or know the thoughts of somebody 10,000 miles away, that Twitter is the universal phone book. So, that being said, I'm going to show you guys how to help manage that, which is a wonderful tool I call TweetBuy. Because, obviously, if you're on Twitter and you want to gain followers, well, there is one fast way to do that, and that is to follow people and let them know you exist. Um, 
it, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, that you, you do need a very good profile picture. It should fill the entire square. You need an outstanding background photo. Um, that thing people see, especially in uh, a mobile setting. And this app is something that I've used, not remember. Um, this app is something that I've used to manage that and to help grow accounts. Because once you hit 2,000, well, how do you know who you should keep and who you shouldn't keep? And um, this is a good way to do it. It's called tweepi.com, T-W-E-E-P-I.com. And it does all sorts of things, like displaying uh, you know, who you're following and who you're, who's not, and you know, who's your friend, and all these things. So you log into Twitter, like so. There we go. And it takes a second, and downloads your whole list. This may take a second here. There we go. So it tells you, everybody, that how many people are not following back. All 2,600 of you are naughty, and I encourage you to follow back right now. <laughs> There's, there's 2,400 that I'm not following back, so I guess I'm a little less not even there. And um, this obviously is follow, follower and following count. So you go in there and you say, hmm, Meredith A. Finn, last tweeted 18 hours ago. What I'll do is I'll just go by last tweeted and see, you know, oh, well, somebody tweeted in the last, like, reasonable amount of time. And you can just go through it page by page by page. They have a paid version, which I'm not using. They'll, they, they give you a better, um, you know, like more tools to use if you just tweet them out. And I encourage you guys to check it out because this will let you pare down who you're following based on some sort of rational standards instead of just blindly unfollowing people. And uh, just so you know, there's another tool that's also really cool. This one's paid. Uh, and it used to be called Manage Twitter, but they, uh, they got sued. So now it's ManageFlitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, oops, it does the same thing, um, but in a different way. And what this lets you do, this kind of thing, let me see if we can get in there. Um, they're based in Australia, and they are an independent uh, web tools company. And they give you all sorts of things, like they let you check out following follower ratios amongst their followers, and, and things like that. And then they actually manually process your follows and unfollows in bulk. Um, you know, they give you a certain amount allowed. See, this is remote uh, management, REM, that's, that's their thing. But what they let you do that's really neat, see it says update Twitter list over here, I know it's not displaying very well. But what I'll do occasionally is hop into that tool and select everybody that's not following back and make a list. The list is called, anybody? Should follow me back? Right? I mean, everybody gets a notification when this, this thing goes out, and then a hundred of them follow and say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Oftentimes, they're friends, people that I know offline. In fact, I would say like a third of the people that are not following back are people that I know offline. So, you know, the Twitter follow limit is there to keep people from abusing the system, but I would totally encourage everybody to use a tool like that to, you know, ramp up your engagement, to, to rev up your audience. And uh, I know we're running short on time here. What was the third topic, Mark? Great. How do you tell a tweet bot from a human being? Um, well, for starters, if the reply comes in within seconds, 
like literal seconds. Um, and then you have to look at their profile image and what it says. I mean, oftentimes these things say, I'm a bot. Um, and if it's a spam bot in particular, uh, it's just off, off topic where they have, you know, an odd username. There's, there are a few people out there that have usernames like Jeb537184A. Um, because for some reason Twitter assigns some pretty complicated names to new users and they don't know they can change that. But in general, if you see a, a name and a profile that don't make sense, that's a bot. Um, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter about automation, and I want to bring that up because people are always unsure. Should I automate? Should I not? Um, if I do, how do I do it? Um, that tool that I mentioned earlier, I'm going to bring it up real quick. Yeah, this is this is the number one tool that I use for, for Twitter uh, automation. Um, and, and it's very worthwhile. Um, IFTTT just means very simply, if this, then that. And it scans multiple social networks and then connects them. So like how you post into Facebook and then it posts on Twitter. You know, like there's just a connection, you say I want this. Well, this does it, but it does Instagram, they just added Pinterest, it does all sorts of things. You can do your appliances. You can make your appliances tweet. You can make your Twitter account tell things to your appliances, I guess. I don't know, but <laughs> there's all sorts of controls on there. I'm not going to give a lesson on this. I'm just going to say you should definitely check it out. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Miami Show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. Um, there's another service which everybody talks about that's called Buffer, uh, bufferapp.com. That's a good one. And I'm going to share one more with you. This guy. Who here has a blog? Raise your hands. Blog? Bloggers? Who's on WordPress? Okay. So this actually, they just decided to make this into a standalone social management tool, but it's a WordPress plugin first and foremost. And what it does is it lets you use a calendar, like Google Calendar. It integrates with your Google Calendar. It has team management. You can have shared social on the back end of it. And um, it's actually very important for what I do with this website that I work with called photographiesmodernbrand.com. So, um, I'm very actually excited to tell you guys about PINAC because we've been working very, 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 very hard on it. And I wanted to 
explain some attention to that little guy at the bottom of the room. You guys see the camera there? It's, uh, it's the first really workable 360-degree camera, and it lets you, you know, see the entire room in 360. We've been recording this whole chat in 360 degrees. And uh, it's going to come out on photographyismodicrime.com in the next few weeks. I wanted to share that with you guys. We're very excited about it. It posts straight onto YouTube without too much work. And you actually get an image of all 360 degrees. So without further ado, I'd like to take some questions and bring Stacy back up after the first one, because I'm sure you guys have questions for both of us. One of the benefits that we've seen with social media as well as Twitter is the um, SEO. Um, sure. Are you platforms like the IMTPT, does that impact SEO at all? I know, like, for example, there was some talks about Hootsuite. And, like, if you use Hootsuite, it actually gets posted via Hootsuite and not directly from the account. So it didn't get that much priority when it went to Google or the other Well, I haven't heard anything about GoSchedule. And to be honest, everything that we do in GoSchedule is scheduled. It's not like Hootsuite, um, which is similar, but GoSchedule is scheduled. We haven't heard that there's any deprecation by the, the search engines. And honestly, we get great reach from some of those posts. Um, I can point one or two of them out to you, but the founder of photographyisnotacrime.com kind of like walked away from Twitter quietly a few years ago and just kept just posting the, the content, the stories. And um, so I decided to co-schedule him. And when something big would happen, we'd send out tweets from co-schedule, like with the story. So he had about 350 followers after we switched his account to the Inact News account, which I strongly encourage all of you guys to follow, P-I-N-A-C News. Um, so we switched over, so we have like 6,000 people on there now, and he only has 300. Well, when the Freddie Gray incident broke, a week before it became a national zeitgeist issue, we posted a tweet from his account about it. And it went pretty viral. It got about 400 retweets for a guy with 350 followers. So, you know, that was through co-schedule, and I, I don't think it hurt us one bit. Um, people that have auto-response when somebody first follows them, they are like at the bottom of my shoe, right there. Like, if you want to most quickly lose as many followers as humanly possible, just turn on the auto response, you know? I had one of those turned on on my account, and I got nothing but complaints. Everybody hates it. I don't like it. Wouldn't recommend it. Same with auto-authentication, to authenticate. Yeah, the, the thing that auto-authenticates through the direct message, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, seriously, some brilliant ideas should just remain ideas. <laughs> Questions? Anybody else? Questions? Uh, on Twitter, is it still viable to do like macro set up based on engagement? Let's say you talking about creating your own tweet bot to do something based on what people are saying on Twitter. Right. I would say it could be extremely difficult. Um, you know, you're talking about handing control of your Twitter account over to, you know, like something like that. And it's, when, with IFTTT, let me just explain one thing. It's not a beginner's tool. Do you use IFTTT at all? Yeah. Um, it's not a beginner's tool. 
Um, I've got an account suspended, not banned, but temporarily suspended with it. If your account's not established, you don't have a lot of followers. If you're interacting with people, as in not just retweeting, but like replying, um, Twitter has rules about mass reply. And then on top of that, I mean, even the simplest of tags can go horribly, horribly awry. And I'll just give you an example of hashtag pinact. This is the logo for photography is not a crime.com, the website that I run with this wonderful gentleman named Carlos Miller. And the acronym is PINAC. So I wanted to show somebody IFTTT a couple of weeks ago. Without telling the whole world, I just set it up so that anytime somebody Instagrams the hashtag PINAC, it takes it and makes a tweet and publishes it with the picture on Twitter. Very simple, right? Not interacting with anybody, it's just one thing from Instagram, bring it on Twitter. Well, let me tell you, nobody knows about it, but some girls out in Japan love that hashtag, don't know why, and our audience is a little confused. And that's like, <laughs> that's one hashtag. Now you're talking about using a few keywords. Um, unless it's something really clever, like uh, the Robocop bot that said every time somebody says something about Robocop, he replies, I'll buy that for a dollar, I say, use extreme caution. One of the things I need is just having so many Or maybe you want to make lists of people that are like, these are my core group. These are the most important people. This is important for this. This is important for that. Um, I wouldn't unfollow them, especially if they're unfollowing you. But if they're like a celebrity and they're not following you back, yeah, whatever. Um, I'll give you a prime example. I, I love Twitter lists. Do you use them? Yeah. I love to go through other people's Twitter lists. Yeah, yeah, people see those. Um, in fact, you talk about SEO. Twitter list is very important for like Twitter SEO because it tells people who's related to what. So it's actually a big deal on Twitter. I've used them for many years, and one of my favorites was a list of MBA reporters. Um, you know, they're all out there, they're beating the bushes, they're doing their thing. So of course when free agency starts and you're hoping there's a big three, well you know, you put it on your phone, and you're like, hey, check out this list. Even my friends that my friends were signing up on Twitter just to use that list like when NBA free agency started. Because they're like, well, I don't want to find out five hours later when it's on ESPN. <laughs> One of the things about lists is, it's like when somebody sends an email to you, and by accident they were supposed to put PCC, and they didn't, and so you get all their contacts. You know how that works? And then you're like, ooh, ha <laughs> idiot. But then you take all their stuff. Um, that's how lists are to me. When I look at other people's lists, if it says social influencers, or media contacts, I'm like, cool. And I take all that and I save it for myself and for whatever I might need more later. And, and let me just say this, um, that tool TweetBuy that I showed you guys, one of the most useful things about TweetBuy is that it makes it a little bit easier to follow people that are following somebody that are, you're interested in. Um, so for example, and I'm not going to give you guys a whole list, but I have a lot of different accounts. I have at Grant Stern, at HeFanClub, at Condo Terminator, at Morningside MTG, which is my mortgage company, at 880 The Biz, which is the radio station I broadcast from, at Only in Miami Show, which is the radio program that I run, etc. Pinac News, I tweet for Carlos. I, I have a very large list at this point, people of Ultra. <laughs> um, and I can tell you that, you know, following the people, like cross-following is a 
big, big plus. If you're looking to build your audience, follow the people that are following your friends, follow the people that are following people that are in the same space. You know, if you're a realtor and he's a realtor, well, chances are your followers may have something in common. And TweetBuy not only, not only identifies who that other person's followers are, because that you just go on Twitter and say, who's following this guy? But it identifies Twitter friends, people that are following each other. So I can go and say, well, who is Stacy following that is following her back? Those are the people that I want to add to my list. Those are the people that will probably care about me and follow me back. And I'm doing that when we leave here, actually. Thanks, Stacy. Stay my you know, it's great to have a, we talked about the number of followers and the quality of them, but if you don't actually talk to them, I'm not sure what Twitter's for. So, it's nice to be a broadcaster and just be like, here's everything I think and here's everything that's going on news-wise or, or with my business or my um, site or whatever, but uh, it's really great when you interact with them. And I used to work for um, Aventura Mall, and as soon as somebody checked in on Foursquare, they would tweet out, you know, their check-in and Aventura Mall would welcome them every single time. So as soon as somebody walked in, checked in, they, Aventura Mall would be like, hey, Grant, what did you shop for today? You know, and they're like, well, weird. But there's a relationship that starts from that very moment that you can build with your consumer, and all of a sudden you have a relationship and you can talk about anything, and you make friends, and you're the mall. And um, I guess when the mall's talking to you, you're like, oh my god, the mall's talking to you. So I, I sell that a lot with my clients. I'm like, let's talk to our clients. As soon as they check in, I mean, it's not as easy as it used to be, but as soon as you get to wherever you are and you geolocate your people, talk to them. And then they'll be really excited and reward them. You know? As soon as you get stuff out, they're your best friends for life. We will be right back at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial-free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome to our live portion of the show tonight. And check out our show on online, onlyinmiami.co. It's our new website. And all of the content that you find on the show will be out there eventually, hopefully sooner than later. But uh, onlyinmiami.co. We're very glad to have our managing editor, J.J. Colagrande, here with us as well. J.J. A.B., nice to, nice to be back. Nice to uh, be back hosting the Only in Miami show. Uh, we have a very exciting episode for us this evening. We're going to be talking music for a little while. We have one of our city's uh, brightest and sharpest and coolest uh, DJs is going to join us in a little while. 
uh, to talk about the music scene and uh, Miami music. Uh, around 8.30 p.m., we're, we're going to be interviewing David Catlin. He is the creator and director of a play called Alice, which is uh, currently running at the Arsht, Adrian Arsht Center. It's their big summer extravaganza, so that's going to be really cool. He's going to call in from Chicago around 8.30, and then a little bit later we'll be joined by Steffi Koss, who is like a producer of the, the Beck's Urban Canvas Art Project, which is like amazing. We're going to talk to Steffi about what they're doing and where they're doing it and what exactly it is. So, Excellent. So um, let's talk a little bit of, while we're waiting. Let's talk a little bit about sports here just for a second. And um, the uh, the MLS team and, and or the, the David Beckham group that uh, has been trying to put an MLS team here in the uh, in the Miami area. There was an article or, or there's some news coming out this week that they might be able, be much closer to an agreement with the city of Miami about a stadium site. I saw I saw that. Yeah, it's exciting. It's you know, it's, it's we wrote about it on only in Miami dot co. Um, we had the mayor on a few weeks ago and he broke to us that negotiations were proceeding for the soccer stadium. And it's it's a cool thing for Miami. No doubt. It's, it'll be really, really cool if the University of Miami can partner into um, with MLS and the Beckham Group, which is something the mayor sort of teased that they're trying to do. Um, I saw on NBC News that as of now, there's no there's no connection. Uh, the University of Miami is not at the table yet, but that would be great, don't you think? Oh, I think it would be great to, to put UM back on that Orange Bowl site. I mean, there's so much history there for the for the Canes. And I know that the Beckham Group has been talking to, um, to UM, but there hasn't been a deal yet. And the problem with it is going to be, that um, that the Canes are locked into a pretty long term deal there at Sun Life Stadium, and so it, getting out of that deal and to be able to do a, a, something like that, but to get the the team that much closer to campus would be a, would be a great thing for the University of Miami. At least for you make you make a great point to actually bring them back to where you know their their spirit essentially is on that site and in a nice new stadium. You know, not for every game necessarily, and this that would be the negotiating point. You know, it's like when we play Tallahassee or or the Gators or Notre Dame or a, a big game that's going to sell out Sun Life Stadium then go to Sun Life Stadium. But when you have these little interconference games and these that don't draw, you know, it's embarrassing to even be at a hurricane game and to see so many empty seats. It's 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 sad and you know, it's so far from campus. That's about you got to think Coral Gables to Sun Life to like BFE, like the border. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is well, is about like an hour drive. You're asking kids, you know, who want to party to drive an hour, which isn't safe, number one. Number two, you know, they, they want to tailgate. They want to have a good time. They want to represent their school. But, you know, an, an hour drive, like on a Saturday morning, usually, when some of these games yeah. like start at, like, 12 noon, like you're asking them to get up at, like, Six in the morning to start tailgating, and you know people are you know these, these are these are college freshmen and sophomores. They're yeah, not, they're not going to do that. Well, and and the thing of it is too, up there at Sun Life, you've got very few transit connections. You know, there it it is in the middle of nowhere. It, it was built as a drive-in stadium for you know for the Dolphins to appeal to the Broward fans as well as the Dade fans, and you know maybe even Palm Beach fans. And it was right there by the Turnpike, so it's, it's easy access for everybody to drive into. Sure. But but for kids to come in and and to be able to ride the train, I mean, I, I remember when I was a student at UM, we would take the the Metro Rail and and you know either walk from from one of the closest stations there or catch a bus or whatever. But but you had that transit link, that easy transit link from the university to be able to get there. And the other thing that I think about the Orange Bowl site compared to the Sun Life site, 
you know, in the past 10 years, there's been such a difference in um, the, the performance of the team from, you know, the Orange Bowl, the glory days of the, of the Canes and the last national championships and so on. And then since we've moved to Sun Life, what's happened? You know, the, the program has just gone downhill. So maybe it, maybe it's just, you know, wishful thinking that moving back to, to the Orange Bowl site could mean more success. But... Um, no, this is awesome. This is this is this is great, and and and, and I really think that it can happen. And I and you, we might be projecting and wishful thinking, but it's a possibility. And I they they know that you know having all those empty seats is is an eyesore. It's not good for you know boosters aren't happy, the students aren't happy. You know Donna Shalala 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 is gone, which means new you know new new leadership might be able to you know bring back bring them closer to. To where where they where they live, and you know, did did you hear about um, just speaking about Sun Life Stadium in, in general? Did you did you hear what what they did? I, I heard a little bit about how they're how they're painting over all the all the Brito stuff yeah. out, up there. Yeah, it's like the best news ever. Like Romero, <laughs> like we don't like Romero Brito. If you're listening. <laughs> Only because he's just, you know, I mean, let, let me rephrase that. Most street artists in Miami or most artists in Miami find Romero Brito's work is to be like overly commercialized and they don't and they don't see him as that credible of an artist or incredible of an artist. He actually doesn't even produce his work. I don't know if you know that. Like he has like a whole team of little minions like working for him. Um, a lot of artists do that. A lot of big artists do that. Well, but, but um, you know, like to 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 go on record and say I love Romero Brito is like one way to be like just heckled out of like a, a Miami art sort of street art or Winwood art kind of party. Well, it, it's funny because it, it's one of those things where you either love it or hate it. And and you know, if you're from Miami, oh, and, and you know, some people will say, oh, well, it's just so it's so iconic Miami that you know the the burrito stuff that that you find everywhere. And yet, on the other hand, there's there's a lot of folks who find it, like you say, very very commercialized. And, and you know, what I think too, the same thing you find in music. You know, the, the original rap artists were this anti-establishment and we're, we're not going to, to bow down to whatever the record labels want us to do and yet you find as time goes on money has a very loud voice and so it 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 changes your mindset about what you do and do not want to do no, you're right and you know i think i, I just had this uh, conversation with my students in class today uh, i was giving a lecture we were actually lecturing i was lecturing on deco my, my novel um, it was very, and you know, I always ask that there's a scene in the book or whatever where the characters are doing things immorally. Like one, one character is a Coke dealer, but he's not, he doesn't sell Coke. He lives a lifestyle of, of a Coke dealer, but he's, um, he's like selling Coca-Cola, Coke Zero, Diet Coke. It's, it's satire. The book, it's funny. And, and the other, the other, the other, um, character is a stripper. And I always ask my, you know, my students, like, are, are you for sale? And what is your price? And then I create all these different scenarios where it's like, yeah. I really, everybody, I think literally, Everybody is for everybody's for sale. It's just like what what is your price? Is it yeah. is it money? Is it is it you know? Especially if like you need it. I always I phrase them like, would you have sex with the guy for? I ask the guys, would you have sex with the girl for five hundred thousand dollars? And every guy like raises his hand. And then I flip it on them. I'm like, but would you have sex with the guy to a guy? Right. Would you have sex with the guy for five hundred thousand dollars? And everybody's like. Ew, ew, no, ew, ew, cooties, like blah, blah, blah. And then I like, I flip it on them. I'm like, well, what if you needed the $500,000 to save your mother's life? And then they're just like, you see it in their eyes. They're like, yeah, I guess I'd bend over. It's only like a it's, half hour well, or whatever. <laughs> it's, all, it's all situational. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's. Um, you want to talk music? You want to? Yeah, I was, was going to say, well, let's, let's take a quick break. 
and we'll come back and we'll we'll be joined by Tom the Rock. So we're going to take a short break. This is the only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. Check out our website, onlyinmiami.co. You'll find all kinds of articles, local Miami news, culture, sports, all kinds of information, and the podcast from this episode of the Only in Miami radio show. Once again, here's JJ Colagrande. All right. You were just listening to uh, Afro Beta, uh, Do You Party? Afro Beta is an awesome band. We were kind of partying here in the studio. Shout out to Tony and Christy and Afro Beta. You know we love them. Uh, it's a nice segue to uh, you know introduce our next our next guest and our next segment, which is we're going to talk about music and uh, Miami music and the scene in, in Miami musically. You know, there's a lot going on in in Miami right right now. Literally right now, like literally right now, there's like downtown is completely activated. Sam Smith, who's like huge, is playing the American Airlines Arena. Nicki Minaj. Is, who's huge, is playing um, the amphitheater at Bayside. There is so much happening in our city musically, literally tonight. On Wednesday, the Smashing Pumpkins and Marilyn Manson are coming to, and I, which I think I got us only in Miami. I think we're going, and we're going to be filming, and I'm going to write about it, of course, which is something what we're doing, you know, with this only in Miami dot co website you know what we're doing is we're producing new media i need to kind of explain that and this is a good introduction to our guest uh tom larock is like are you on the line tom tom's here how are you gentlemen tom's chilling man so let me uh you know tell us a little bit about yourself bro and then i'm going to explain some other things 
Uh, my name is Tom LaRock. It's short for Tom LaRocca. A lot of people think uh, being a DJ, my name is Scott LaRock or <laughs> named after the BDP crew. Uh, Boogie Down Productions. It's actually a, a shortened version of my real name, Tom LaRocca. So you're, uh, you're Italian or no? Yeah, I'm Italian, Irish, German. And I started coming to Miami in uh, summer of 1990 when my friend Don from Pervert Clothing started uh, an urban fashion craze and uh, moved down here to support him as his DJ for the clothing company. And um, I was sold from that moment on. I moved down here full time in 98. I've been DJing for everybody from Biggie to Puffy to, uh, I mean, Damian Marley's DJ. So I've, I've, I've run the gauntlet uh, through the hip hop um, through the hip hop genre, I've, I've, I've befriended a lot of the, a lot of your favorite rappers, and done a lot of work uh, behind the scenes. That's and what's uh, you worked with Biggie, man. I was friends with Biggie. Um, I used to go to his house in Teaneck, New Jersey. We met in '94 outside of the New Music Seminar, and um, from then that day on, we were friends. Wow. Do you remember that show he played in South Beach? I want to say it was like 1992. And it was at a place like on 20th Street. Or the, I forgot the name of that club. That was like, do you recall that or no? Uh, actually, I've heard of the stories of Biggie performing in Miami. Uh, I made the show that you're talking about over around 20th Street. Groove Jet. It was at a place called Groove Jet. Remember Groove Jet? Groove Jet. Yeah, of course. The show was, uh, it was dope, dude. Like, bro, Big Pun opened up for Biggie Smalls in this small little, like, cool club. Like, in, I remember I had just moved down from New York. I was like, man, yo, this is like real. This is cool because I knew who Big Pun was, and you know, I knew—I mean, not personally, but their music, you know. And I was like a little jit. I was like 17 years old. It was like Oliver North was there. I'm not Oliver. Not Oliver North. <laughs> who's the fil- who's the filmmaker? Oliver. Uh, Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone was there. Stone is the key word because he was like stoned out of his mind on like Molly or something. <laughs> oh, he was blown away the whole time he was in Miami filming that um Scarface. that movie with LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx. Yes, yes, any any Sunday, any given Sunday. Yes, yes. That guy's a character. But yeah, I didn't catch Biggie live in Miami ever. Um, I did go to shows with him in New York, and uh, man, it was it was a pleasure being a friend with Christopher Wallace. Wow, that's 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 dope, man. I didn't know that. Christopher Rios, big pun. uh, I never got to meet him. He was uh, scheduled to come to Long Island one day, and uh, the limo got there, and he wasn't in it. And the problem was he didn't fit in the limo. These were like in his final days. And he had to renege on the show because he could not fit in the limo. That's sad. That's terrible. Oh, he, was, he was so talented, man. Chilling in the middle of Little Italy, eliminating the middleman that didn't do diddly. That's but musically, like... <laughs> carrying, his, uh, carrying his torch now, his son, is, uh, his son is out there doing his thing in New York. He's, uh, he's known on the underground circuit. And he's definitely spitting some rhymes. That's that. So obviously, you're when you were in New York, you were you were you were you were DJing and producing too, or no? Yeah, I started DJing in '84 in my bedroom. Oh damn! By '88, '87, hip hop was in real full swing. Tribe Called Quest was out, and all my friends were graduating in Long Island. So I started DJing graduation parties. Oh, you so you're Strong Island boy. I'm Strong Island, where we got the wildin', of course. Bug yeah, wildin', Island. always smiling. Strong Island, skinny kid <laughs> profiling. I like it. You are yeah. you down? Are you down with all those Strong Island bands, leaders of the new school? You know, uh, uh, De La Soul, 
Every one of them. I spoke to Pasta News just a couple of days ago. Uh, I spoke to, um, you know, the R&B group Soul For Real. Remember Soul For Real? Yeah, yeah, bro. Candy Rain. All right. Um, yeah, here's how it went. I'm going to tell you how it went in New York. Basically, Long Island is one Long Island, and through the center of Long Island, there's the Long Island Railroad. If you just look at the map of the Long Island Railroad, you will notice that every stop on the railroad, that's where another famous rapper is from. So I'm from the last stop. I'm from Ronkonkoma. Eric Sermon, he moved out to my town in like 89. So I was friends with him from Jump. Next town over, Centralized, if you had MC Shan, Rock Kim. Next town over, you had Wine Dance, Rock Kim, Craig Mack. Uh, going further down the line, you have Bayshore, where LL Cool J was from. Going further into Manhattan, you had Public Enemy, De La Soul. And, and, and it was really chock full of artists. Yo, I know um, De La's got a, um, who's De La's DJ? It's Maceo, right? Like he's, Maceo. he's, Maceo's down here now, right? Or no? Yeah, he lives in Broward and he, he lives comes in Broward. down and plays, um, plays a couple times a year here in Miami. He does. He does, and a lot, a lot of you know, a lot of like you know, like Quest, Quest Love comes down here a lot, like at least four or four times a year. Yeah, he's down here probably the most, right? He's down here a lot. Yeah, De La Maceo is super cool, man. And I mean, his son. I don't know if many people know that. You probably know this. Like his son Trey Mason is like you know a football player. Like yeah, isn't he doing really well? Like as a pro, like a collegiate or a pro level? No, he's pro now. He's on the St. Louis Rams. He's like killing it. He's like one of wow. the best running backs in the league, bro. Like Maceo's son's dope. Last time I checked, he wasn't that far along. That's awesome. Yeah, he blew up. He blew up. Yeah, time flies, bro. Time flies. Well, so what about Miami, man? Like, where, um, you know, you got residencies anywhere? I do. I, I've been playing in Wynwood more than South Beach. I, I'm a resident of South Beach, and I support Miami Beach. But, um, you know, just the, the vibe that's going on over in Wynwood has just been more my style. And um, I've been over there since, you know, the early days when, like, Cafeina was one of the first spots. I went over there and um, made some shit happen. Uh, as you may or may not know, I've been DJing video. So I've been collecting the music video of all our favorite songs. And when I go out, I spin music video sets. Oh, I didn't know that, man. Yeah, so... Where, where are you in, where uh, are you in Winwood? You're at, Winwood you're, where it worked really well. Where are you in Winwood? At Koyo? Uh, I play at Koyo once a month for the Takeout Tuesday party, which is uh, a hip-hop head party. And that's with Keen One on Tuesday nights. And then I do uh, weekly at Gramps. I got a nice residency at Gramps right now. And uh, I'm there every Thursday spinning music videos outside. And uh, that's pretty a good vibe over there. We got about three, 400 people every week. Oh, that's dope, man. I was, yeah, I was just at Gramps last night, man. Like, the... Yeah, oh, what was last night? The comedy? Yeah, exactly. It was a lot. Uh, JC Curious, who was on the Only Miami show last week, actually like killed it. He was doing his live recording album. And it was just dope. It was a good vibe. And um, yeah, we love Winwood. I love Gramps. Love all those. I dudes. mean, I love South Beach, but there's just. It's, the only way I can say, like, Winwood reminds me of Miami Beach in around 96, 1996. Before it was commercialized, before it really got corporatized, you know, you, you just have that artsy vibe over there. And I don't, I don't mean just graffiti art or whatever. I mean, like, music vibe, um, a different consciousness, you know, than on the beach. And I really support that. That's what's up, man. It's coming. It's just more countercultural. It's just more, it's just more vibrant. You know, like Wood Tavern is blown up. Like when when it's changing though too. Like it's becoming like less. You know, what I'm saying there there aren't there are less artists there, less hipsters there, which to me is a good thing actually. 
Yeah, can we agree that it's in the middle of a change right now? Like a change is coming? Oh, yeah. I, I would, I would. you know, we have this, you know, yeah, absolutely. For the better, I think, you know, just within the last year, Winwin has two new breweries that make their own beer. Um, you know, just, I, I feel like a, a lot of people left that started Winwood, like they got priced out and, you know, they're trying to, you know, go to different neighborhoods, but the, they're, they're, the people that are, are there belong there and they're succeeding and, they're, and it's fun, man. Winwood, Winwood Nights, bro. That's what's I up. I mean, we could talk about it. Do you, know, do you know where the original people have moved to? I could tell you. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, they're going downtown. They're going to Little Haiti. Nope. They're going to Little River. Little River District also. Little, Little River is our next district to blow like Winwood did. Remember I told you this, boys. <laughs> I, I, have, I have inside information for a little while now. Little River is the next move. Little River is the next black. <laughs> Tom LaRock chilling with the Only in Miami show, bro. So, um, only in Miami, man. Only in Miami. What a pleasure to get the call to even, you know, to chat with you on the show. Um, I saw the show a few times um, on the internet, and I liked what I saw. And then, like a month later, you you hit me up. So I appreciate you guys, bro. You're, bro. I mean, you know, this is what we're doing right now. Is like, and this is what's really cool about Only in Miami. Co. Like our website that's associated with this radio show. You know, we're creating new media, and this is why I'm attracted to the, to the project. You know, new media. Like, we don't need newspaper. We don't need paper. We don't. What what we need is, you know, we got we, everything's online. Everything's digital, and we need to embed, you know, videos, um, sound clouds, you know, uh, podcasts. You know, just keep people like, you know, just give them all the media in one place. You know, which. Which is something that I, you know, and you know, I have. I'm the executive uh, editor of this whole thing, and so we have immense creative freedom in terms of what we're going to be able to do. And what what we're doing with you, you know, and Tom's agreed to this is like we're going to have like a DJ of the month, and we're going to rotate, you know, the DJ of the month, and we're going to give Tom, you know, his own sort of spot, like on the, the hopefully on the home page of only a Miami show that'll say DJ of the month. And Tom's going to create like a special set list for us or some media or some, 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 what are you, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Um, everything you just mentioned. Um, one <laughs> example would be a set list for, uh, like Spotify or Apple beats. Uh, we're going to give you 20 songs that you should definitely be listening to. And if you don't own them, you should probably own them. Um, additionally, I'm going to give you, my favorite mixes of all time. My personal favorite mixes where I, I I can listen to it and I love sharing this stuff with other people. So that's one example. And besides the mixes and the playlist, I also have some exclusive video content from back in the day, Miami, that everyone's going to very much enjoy. And... Unfortunately, because I'm on the phone with you, JJ, I, I, I can't give you the gift, but I had two gifts for you today. You did, bro. And we'll save those for when I see you. I'm going to come through on, on, on one, on probably uh, Thursday just to see you. But um, only, only, was, in was only in mind, bro. This, that sounds amazing, man. And what I'm going to do is then, you know, we're going we're gonna to transform this interview into, into a podcast. Where, you know, I'm going to write about you and profile you, you know, in, in, in a blog post. And then I'm going to write another blog post with all that media that you just mentioned. 
Um, and it's really cool that, you know, you got videos and obviously sound. Yo, trust me when I say this. Tom LaRock, Miami. Tom LaRock is hot. and He's old school and he's much respected in the city when it comes to DJs. And we're honored to have him as our first, I guess, resident, you know, uh, DJ. I think we're going to do Immortal next month. But we're going we're gonna to have Tom's stuff up on our, on our website exclusively for the next month. And we'll probably archive it, of course, so it's always there. So if somebody wants to listen to Tom LaRock, you know, you got all Tom LaRock, like, ready to rock out, like, right there on our website, Only yes, in Miami, we bro. we have that for you at Only in Miami. All that right, bro, where, 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 where can we find you, man? Um, at your local weed dealer's house <laughs> or at your local surfer's house hanging out. No. I mean, on social um, media, dog. <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm grinding. Um, I'm a professional video editor when I'm not DJing or raising my two girls. And um, I have some pretty big projects um, that I am hoping at least one comes through. <laughs> right on, bro. Well, we're going to wrap this up, man. I'm going to catch you on, online. I'll catch you. Uh, we'll catch your music online. And, you know, I'm really happy for you calling in, bro. JJ, I'm here for the city of Miami, for the only Miami show. I appreciate you guys uh, thinking of me and, and wanting me to help you with the, uh, with the new media. I'm in it 110%, and uh, I've been look- you know I've been looking for a reason to get together with you, and this this was there's no better reason than doing some radio with you and helping the people of Miami with some fresh content. No doubt, bro. Tom LaRock, give it up, man. All right, bro, thanks for calling in, man. We're going to catch up to you soon. Okay, JJ, thank you, gentlemen. Only in Miami. I love you guys, and I'll see you guys at the next show. Represent. All right, and we'll be right back. This is... The only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. Check us out online at onlyinmiami.co. You'll find our podcast. You'll find all kinds of articles about all kinds of news here in Miami, news, culture, sports, all kinds of content. Here's again, J.J. Colagrande, our managing editor. All right. Very happy to have on the line calling from Chicago, uh, acclaimed director and the creator of the play Looking Glass Alice, which is currently running at the Adrian Arsht Center. His name is David Catlin. Are you with us, David? I am. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a blessing. Thank you so much for, for, for being available for this, man. Very excited. How you doing? Did you come down for the opening? I, I did. I got to come down and um, worked with the cast to uh, help it fit into the, the beautiful space there. Um, we, we had done it in Chicago back in uh, November and December, ran through January, and so the cast had a little bit of time off, so we had to knock some of the rust off before coming down to you, and they had to get back in shape because it's a very, very physical show. Um, so I did get to come down and for opening. Was, was, was the, the, the run in Chicago its premiere? No, we actually, we, we did this show, uh, we created it about 10 years ago. Okay. And uh, in 2005, and it has every couple years we we bring it back because people seem to like it, and we like doing it. It's um, um, but it's 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 10 years old now. It's, we've been doing it for about 10 years at Looking Glass. We've taken it across the country. It's been to a couple theaters in um, New York, one in Syracuse, one in New York City, one in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. The Alliance uh, in Atlanta, the Arden in Philadelphia. So it's had a little tour. Um, it has some legs again. Thrilled to be in, in Miami. We're we're thrilled to have you. And you know this is a it's 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 uh, Arsht, Adrian Arsht. It's it's big summer sort of spectacular. Um, now they normally during the summertime at the Adrian Arsht Center in Miami put on plays that are like very very loud song and dance spectaculars would be the would be the word you know and, and yeah. this is is not quite that or is it you well, know what it, i mean it's, <laughs> it's not um there there is um a little bit of singing here and there some silly singing there's um there's uh, some circus in it which i think is I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people. Um, I guess what I'm trying to explain is like, so it's like yeah. the production is, it's in the Ziff uh, Opera Ballroom, but you yeah. guys converted it into like an intimate, this is like a theater that sits thousands of seats, but you converted it into like an intimate kind of a box kind of environment where, yeah. right, like I believe like, I, I haven't seen the play yet. I'm going to see it on Wednesday and I'm very, very excited. Again, the play is called Looking Glass Alice and we're with director and creator David Catlin. Um, you created this intimate sort of environment where half, and correct me if I'm wrong, half of the audience is sort of looking at each other and, and like, so it's like 150, there's only 300 people, right? I, I think like yeah, inside. It's very, church. it's very intimate. You're up on stage, which is part of the, part of the fun of it. How often do you get to, as an audience member, go on stage? And that's, it's, um, you know, the, I don't know if you know this, but that is, I believe it's the second largest stage in the country, second only to the Met in New York. I mean, it's an, an enormous stage, but with what, when we put the audience up there and the play up there, it's still, it feels very intimate. Um, I'm excited. And, and I mean, yeah. the, you know, again, the name of the play is Looking Glass Alice. The name of the company is Looking Glass Theater Company. You guys are based out of Chicago, Illinois, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and there's so much beautiful live theater 
in Chicago, which, you know, and for you to be representing it and doing well, and I did a little homework and giving back and through education, like, yep. you guys are just doing awesome stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, the, the kind of theater that we do is very collaborative. It's ensemble-oriented, and, and so a lot of our programs feature collaboration and team building. So, so the, the kids that we work with, um, they learn that. They learn collaboration through theater, uh, which is really um, exciting. It's exciting awesome. for us to be able to, to do that with the kids, um, but it also fuels what we do. Um, and, it's, and, and we get a lot out of um, spending time with them, and, and um, we kind of get re-energized by working with them. So for people who, who don't know, I mean, again, the play Looking Glass Alice, if you had to take one guess, you know, it's a, an ad- adaptation of, of Lewis Carroll's um, Adventures in Alice, Alice, what's Alice's, Alice in Wonderland. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And then also he, he wrote another book called Through the Looking Glass. And, um, and they're, they're familiar characters that are kind of in both books. There's the Mad Hatter and the March Hare and the Dormouse. There's Tweedledum and Tweedledee and the White Knight. The Red Queen. In our version, the Red Queen is a kind of combination between the Red Queen, who's in Through the Looking Glass, and the Queen of Hearts, who is in um, uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The Cheshire Cat, I assume. The is... Cheshire Cat is there, yep. He's, he's uh, there to help guide Alice on her way. He kind of appears and disappears. Um, you should see, I mean, this is a little off topic right now. It's like sunset over here in Miami. And, and, and right, literally right now, when you, when you look out at the moon this evening, it, the moon is at that crescent stage oh, where yeah. it, it looks like the Cheshire cat, just kind of uh, like beautifully like smiling. In the, it's my favorite phase of the moon. Yeah, me too. I love it. You, so you, I mean, you're a writer. You adapted this from the works of Lewis Carroll probably about, about 10 years ago. Talk to me about that process, because I'm interested. Well, you know, I'm a novelist also. You know, so when you when you're adapting somebody else's works, I mean, you you, you obviously were drawn to this to this man, yep. his work for for probably a long time. Um, you know, what was that process like? I think you have to, as a writer, you know, you 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 have to find what it is that you're wanting out of it, what you're sort of wrestling with or thinking about, and and um, for me, I I I'd gotten to work on a another adaptation as an actor um, that was done by a guy named Andre Gregory in the Manhattan Project back in the 70s. And I got to work on it as an actor, and I, I really began to understand that Charles Dodson, who wrote under the name Lewis Carroll, mm-hmm. wrote it as his gift. Mm-hmm. He, he, he made up this story as a gift for the real-life Alice Little and her two sisters. Who was and te- he wrote it down later and gave it to them. And, who it was? She was like ten years old, and they were all they yeah, all they all yeah, went yeah. on like a like a like a boat trip together or something. Yep, like, yep, what, what was their yeah. relationship? He, she was just a friend to to him, or yeah, what? yeah, he was a friend of the family. And you know, in Victorian time, they they had all these sort of rules of etiquette and sure. manners, and and it seemed like he was much more comfortable uh, around kids. And 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 I feel like what he was telling Alice, you know, and her sisters. Again, this is written in, in Victorian time where almost all the kids' literature is morally instructive. It's telling kids how to behave, and, and, it, and it's kind of telling them how to behave in a way that's trying to make little mini grown-ups out of them. And I think Charles Dodgson was saying, don't be in such a hurry to grow up. In a way, this, this novel was subversive because every, all the other children's literature is saying, oh, yeah. Um, be a grown-up, be a grown-up. And here he's saying, no, 
uh, believe in impossible things. Be a kid. Be a kid. And uh, and so that was I thought about that. And at the time I was writing this adaptation, my daughter Sailor was 18 months old, and her, one of her very first complete sentences was, "When can I get my ears pierced?" She was 18 months old, and that was that was one of the very first sentences. And I thought, "Here's a kid who's rushing to grow up." Okay. And so I thought, "I'm I'm going to make." this adaptation in a way for her to tell her to remind her not to be in such a hurry to grow up so in a way that that was the kind of starting point for me in terms of how to adapt the thing and then as i was working on it i realized that it's not it's not just for it's not just for kids it's a reminder to people like you and me too who sometimes we forget how to play you know we work so hard and we spend so much time worrying about mortgages and paying rent that we sometimes forget how to play. I, I just took a little, I've just started a little vacation. It's taken me three days to remind myself how to relax, you know what I mean, how to, how to play. And so I think this, this play, this story is, is important, not just for, for the kids, but also for anybody who's ever been a kid, you know, and, and if we've forgotten Sometimes we forget, we get so bogged down in the kind of practical, rational life that we're sure. leading that we, we forget to believe in impossible things. We forget to, um, that play, that the importance of play and, and the playing actually takes a little practice, right? Yeah, no, it's just some of the big messages. It's a beautiful theme, you know, to, to stay young at heart and to, yep. you know, and to, and, you know, and to, it's the secret, really, of life, of getting old, of not taking yourself too seriously, of using yeah. your of using your imagination. Of st- I think um, Emerson once said, you know, to succeed is to laugh often and much, to earn uh-huh. to earn the respect of honest critics and endure the betrayal of of false friends, you know, and then and to make children smile, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, man, and I'm I'm very excited about about this. I, I love Lewis Carroll's, um, you know, Looking Looking Glass and Alice in Wonderland. I have I literally have a poster um at my house with like the whole all twenty seven thousand words like crunched into it or whatever. Oh, um, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool, and it looks like Alice all grown up and the Cheshire Cat's like sitting there. Uh, it's pretty cool art. Yeah, um, it's a it's a story. There's stories that no matter what point you are in your life, check, checking in with them. They take on a whole new meaning. There's, you know, if you're, if you're a kid, I remember being a kid and seeing the Disney version, and I just remember those vivid, nonsensical characters, and right. I love them, and that, that we have those. And, and then I, I encountered it in, um, when I, as an actor, a student actor in college, uh, one of our company members, David Schwimmer, uh, before Friends, uh, took $500 of his bar mitzvah money that was sitting <laughs> in a bank account, and he self-produced at, at school at Northwestern where we went to school a version of Alice in Wonderland that's awesome and we I was I was in the cast and and at age 20 Alice in Wonderland is like a whole different story you know you're, you're interested in the sort of the, the kind of trippy side of it and right. then as you get older and become a parent or or um, as, as you get older you see it through a whole different lens and enjoy it on on on, you know, he's a, he was a logician and a, and a mathematician, and so there's all this kind of bended logic in there. That's and 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 the message we were just talking about in terms of 
staying young at heart. This is great. Yeah, we're going down the rabbit hole with director and creator David Catlin uh, of the play Looking Glass Alice, which is currently running at the Adrian Arsht Center until August 16th. It opened up last week, so it's only in its second week. There's plenty of time to get tickets and come see the, uh, the show at the Adrian Arsht Center. Is there anywhere else that we can find it online? Uh, I think I... I should know the answer to that, but I, I think if you uh, it's all go good. to the Arched Online, that, that's and, where and, you get the ticket. And you should check out uh, David's, which I think is a co-creator of the Looking Glass Theater Company. If you Google yep. Looking, Looking Glass Theater Company, there's a lot of information on that. And um, so what we're going to do, buddy, is I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to podcast this interview. I'm going to you know, go see the play. I'm super excited. Then we're going to write a review you know, with the embedded podcast into, into the article, um, and it'll come out like Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, Sound good? All right, guys, so Miami, go out and see Looking Glass Alice at the Arts Center. David, Catlin, thank you so much for calling in. Um, it was our pleasure to have you, bro. It's really interesting. Thanks, JJ. I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. Check us out online, www.onlyinmiami.co. You'll find our podcast. You'll find all kinds of Miami news, culture, music, uh, 
sports, all kinds of stuff online. Check it out only in Miami.co. Once again, here's JJ Colagrande. Hey, so I am super excited to be talking to our next guest, um, Steffi Koss, who is in the house. Welcome to the studio, Steph. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Steffi is involved in a project called the Bex Canvas Art Project. Am I pronouncing it right? Bex Urban Canvas. My bad. Uh-uh. Okay. Bex <laughs> Urban Canvas, which can be found, information for it can be found. www.bexurbancanvas.com and definitely follow the hashtag Bex Urban Canvas. There's some cool stuff out there in social media already. Okay. So you need to explain to us like what, what's going on. Like what's the deal? So we were basically given the challenge by Bex to um, help align the brand really with the Florida art community. And in the history of fostering progressive thinking, you know, they have had all kinds of different programs on a global basis that have been supporting independent art and music and cultural activities. And we haven't really had that grounding in um, like the community level here in Miami in the past. And so what we devised is this new program, Bex Urban Canvas, uh, where we'll be um, commissioning works, 15 different totally creative freedom pieces around the city of murals by local Miami-based artists. Awesome. Some of the best and the best in the Miami street art um, mural who, who, world. Who's painting? Uh, we've got Dos Alas, Abstract, uh, Diana Contreras. Didi. Don, yeah, Didi, yeah. local right here um, in Little Haiti, or Little Havana, rather. Um, Don Rymax, Ernesto Moranje, uh, Hoxa, Jesse Knight, Jose Mertz, oh, wow. Magnus Sodom, uh, Trek Six, Typo, and Tatiana Suarez. Wow. So it's Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. Oh no way. She actually just finished her piece in Wynwood. Is it she is from Miami? Amazing. Yeah. She she's living here in Miami now. She's I don't think she was originally from Miami. And oh, then Steffi just like listed basically Miami's best street artists. You know, and this is like the contemporary like art movement of our time is street art, urban art. You go to Wynwood and you see these murals outside. So basically, she you know. Through backs, you know, they're painting those, those artists are painting fresh, original murals. You know, um, where? Uh, all around Miami, but specifically within the neighborhoods of um, Wynwood, Little Havana, Little Haiti, and Hialeah. So Little Haiti, Wynwood, Little Havana, and. What did we miss? Hialeah. Uh, how can I? How can I? The new Leah Arts District, right in the center of it, out there. That's awesome. And I mean, what this is this is what's so, so cool about the project. It's like not only do you have like local, it's for Miami, by Miami, you know, on Miami, right? Yeah. And it's like the which is exactly what this show is about. <laughs> only in Miami is promoting what we love and loving what we promote. And this is exactly 305 till you die stuff that you just really represent, and it's really cool. And the places that you're painting, as far as I know the venues in those cities are somehow connected to like nonprofit organizations, right? Or it's a total mix of venues, but in addition to the mural pieces, you know, we've been actually, I have to say so blessed to you to be working with the Wynwood map in terms of curating the artists and the locations and helping find some absolutely beautiful locations in in curating this amazing group. Wynwood map, if you don't know, is run by Robert de los Rios. He's a friend of the show. And uh, I'm going to be writing about him pretty soon. He did the middle of the JDD um, middle school art project. He basically is the curator of, of Wynwood, I would say, like, you know, in terms of and it's Dawson. You know, Dawson is like someone they can guide. Like he knows everything about everything. And Wynwood Map is a website that basically chronicles all of the art that is happening in Miami, where it's happening, who did it, when did it happen, things like that. So, yeah, big props to Wynwood, Wynwood Map. 
So he's the one helping us find the walls. But outside of the walls, we're getting involved in a lot of different community programs and cultural and art-based um, programs for the next three to six months. So Big Night in Little Haiti, uh, Viernes Culturales in Little Havana. There's going to be another event out in Hialeah in the new Leah Arts District, different activations for Wynwood Art Walk. So really not just uh, commissioning the murals, but also getting involved in the community on a, a close level. So. That's all. Wait, so you're painting at those places? like, or, or? Uh, We'll have activations at those events, so sort of like a pop-up party uh, activation celebrating the program in general and the art, the artists. Which is, I know you have something this Thursday. You want to tell us about that? That's, that sounds dope. Sure, yeah. Thursday is the official launch event, and we are mm-hmm. excited to be having that uh, at the actual Wynwood Walls property right in the heart of, of everything that is street art and amazing murals in in Miami. So is it? That's awesome. So that so this this Thursday from I want to say from seven to ten p.m. Because right, I just RSVP because is yes. R, is RSVP enclosed yet or no? Uh, it hasn't been closed yet. It is invite only. So if you're lucky enough to to find your way with the RSVP link, um, you definitely should attend. There's some great surprises and amazing. Uh, pieces will be on display by all of the artists. So that's that's this Thursday night in Winwood. It's going to be the launch party of the Beck's Urban Canvas Art Projects. It's going to be dope. There'll probably be live painting. I'm sure. I would imagine there'll be free Beck's. Um, I even heard that um, they're flying Beck in, and he's going to sing "I'm Not a Loser" or "I'm a Loser." <laughs> you never know, man. The rumor mill is out. <laughs> I just hashtag. I just I just started that rumor. They're yeah. flying Beck in. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. It's not in the budget yet. On, yeah, on, 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 with 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 um, Banksy, and um, you know he's going to be painting uh, a, 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 an invader in Linwood this Thursday night. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be dope. But if you aren't lucky enough to find yourself with an RSVP link, you can go check out some of the murals that have already been completed in the program. So we've got an amazing piece by Tati that's complete in Wynwood. Uh, a beautiful woman. That I is, saw that. Yes. Um, it's hot. And if you check out, there's also a piece that Jose Mertz has just completed. And Jesse Knight is in progress. Where are um, they painting? Uh, those are all pieces in Wynwood. And if you go to the website which is, again, BexUrbanCanvas.com. You can see the locations on a map there and a little, learn a little bit more about all of the artists involved in the program. About where the actual the the murals are. Correct. Yeah, the addresses. And they're not. I mean, Bex isn't trying to like micromanage you guys in any ways or in terms of like. Oh yeah, because Occulto just had their like big ass launch in Winwood, right? And they dumped like ten million dollars to promote their new beer. I actually, fell in love with their party, and they were giving me so much free beer that I just kept writing like nice things about them, which is smart. <laughs> it's a smart way to make a writer happy is give them free beer. And this Occulto beer is like not even that good. It's like fruity tequila beer, right? It's like not even that good. I was drinking some. They brought in, I forgot who they brought in for the party. Long story short, and they, they painted, uh, they gave Louis Valley, I don't know if you know him. Louis Valley is another street artist. You know, he, had, he painted a mural in Winwood, but it says Occulto, and it's, but it's like Louis style. And it's like, I feel like Bex is not trying to necessarily, like, you know what I mean, stamp their label on, on what you guys are doing. No, I mean, one of the amazing things about this program really is the total creative freedom they're giving the artist. So they've been able to completely you know, explore whatever avenue they want with this art. And we're just trying to really elevate what's currently going on in Miami and give it a platform uh, to, to, you know, speak to the, the, the Internet universe, basically, and let people know what's going on down here in Miami. It's awesome. Dex has been doing this. That's They're, they're, they're good. They're, they've been good to Miami for a while in terms of, like, you know, sponsoring stuff. They had... Um, 
their labels right last year. I think they had the TM sisters uh, had their own label that you know got a little confusing, like because people were like, "Wait, this is this Bex or what is this?" You know, I don't know what to teach. But this is something completely different. Bex is like is you know giving fifteen Miami artists sounds like three are done, sounds like twelve more to go. Yep. And you got this is going to be going on for like what next month or? Yeah, the bulk of the painting will be over the next six weeks here. So just follow that hashtag Bex Urban Canvas, and you'll start to see the murals pop up real time, and you can go visit them and say what's up to the these amazing artists. And I'm going to write up this uh, interview and we'll podcast it and we'll have information about everything on the website by midweek on onlyinmiami.co. Thank you, Steffi, so much for coming out. Thanks for having Love me. Love you, girl. And we'll be back next week. That's all we have for tonight. Grant, we'll be back next week. But until then, check out our podcasts online, onlyinmiami.co. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.